know a lot of you have family here, and we're thankful that you are here and able to visit with us. Uh, we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 today, and hopefully uh, you'll be reminded of something that you've perhaps read before, and it'll, it'll bless your heart. And so uh, this is, if, you're, you know, if you have your Bible open or if you have an app open that has your Bible on it, uh, you'll see this like prophetic response from uh, Zechariah, and uh, if you know much about it, you know he is the father of John the Baptist, and so you just kind of need to think about that. And so we're going to start reviewing the chapter as we kind of move into it, and then we're going to get into the heart of this prophetic uh, statement that his father uh, makes. And so I think that's important just to kind of start there and just say that God does what he promises he will do, and that's what you see in this prophecy. It's God is going to accomplish and do what he has promised to do. And so I want you to look at verses 5 through 17 of uh, Luke. And what you notice is, is um, we, we're kind of, as we're looking at it, Zechariah is a priest. He and his wife, um, Elizabeth, walked with God. They spent their whole life with walking with the Lord. Um, but there was a problem. They, they didn't have any children. And uh, that's sometimes like uh, you think, wait, aren't they under God's blessing? Uh, wouldn't they have children? And the reality is, is if we study the Bible, we'll see there's a lot of people with a lot of things that they struggle with that have uh, God has his purposes in them, and we don't always understand. Like, that's just the reality. You see him in the setting of walking with the Lord. He is ministering in the temple, and an angel appeared to him and told him his prayer has been answered. And probably it's the idea of him bearing a son or him to having a son uh, and it may have even been bigger than that, where he was thinking about God's kingdom and his will and his purposes. And so um, what he tells him is that he'll be filled uh, with the spirit from birth and the spirit, of power of, uh, uh, the spirit and power of Elijah would be uh, on, upon him. And so then you keep going, 18 through 25, um, he tells him how this would take place because he asked, how could this be? How could this take place? And um, the angel said, this Gabriel, and he said um, he, that he had stood in the presence of God and that God had sent him with the message. And so he said, because of your unbelief, like you're not really trusting God like you ought to, you're not going to be able to speak throughout this whole time. And then there is this idea maybe even that he was deaf because they'll sign to him later. And so that is kind of where he is. Until the child is born, he will be unable uh, to speak. He's not going to say anything. And it's, it's, a, it's a judgment to him or towards him, but God would use it, and we'll see that as we go forward. If you look at 26 to 38, you'll see six months later, uh, you're, you're looking at this, and Gabriel appears before Mary. And if you've been in church or maybe haven't in a while, you probably know that Mary is, is the mother of Jesus, and she, she is told that she is going to conceive, and she'll conceive by the Holy Spirit, and she's going to have this son. And again, this is six months later. And so this, this son, will, he'll reign on David's throne forever is what we see. And then you get to 39 to 45, and you see that they go, or Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And you think, okay, well, this would be an ordinary thing, going to see your family member. You're pregnant. She's pregnant. But as soon as they, he's, like she steps in the room, her son inside of her, he leapt. Like he, he's filled the spirit, and he kind of leaps inside of her. And it's important, I think, to understand that because you see even early on, he's kind of celebrating getting people prepared for the coming 
of the Messiah. And so all of that is taking place, and Mary stays on with her uh, for three more months. And then we see in verse 46 through 55, Mary sing a song of praise of what God has done. And it's a reflection of, like, thinking about that. So these events, really, as you see them unfold and you watch them, you think these are events where we should be filled with praise. We should honor uh, the Lord with praise. Now, even in your own life, you think back of any event in your life. You could think about it, and it's some a massive thing that happens. And when it happens and you experience it, uh, you're often filled with praise. It might be for somebody that you that blessed you in some way, and you're like, you're speaking their praises. Well, I mean, this is in a much grander way. They're seeing the things that everybody's been waiting have to happen, happen, and people start to praise God. So that's kind of what you see. Now, in 57 through 66, the baby is born, John the Baptist, that is. He's born, and everybody's like, look, give him his father's name. I mean, his father's over there mute. And they're like, give him his dad's name. And then others uh, were like, or at least somebody like his grandfather, great-grandfather. I mean, come on. He needs a a name that's tied to our family. And so uh, I guess I don't know how long it took that there was some argument there. But Zechariah wrote on a tablet, his name is John. And that settled everything. And as a result, Zechariah's mouth was open. And he spoke blessing to God. And so you see this thing of God acting and responses of blessing. So uh, you, you, if you're to like, when you what we're about to look at, like if you were to pay attention, you'll see like Old Testament references throughout. And you'll see how this is fulfilling prophecy. Everybody's been waiting for a Messiah. You're longing for it to come. And now we are here. And so every phrase has an Old Testament connection that is reminding you of something that is said before. And um, if you're thinking about it, like you're saying, what's the big thing about this? We're going to look at this this morning. What's the big thing? God is accomplishing his purposes in the course of history by acting to save his people and to bring eternal glory and praise to his son. That's what he's doing. God is acting, and you're getting to see this on display. And really, when we think about Christmas, which is always hard to do for me and for those in my family and for everyone around I mean, there's so many exciting things. Families coming in. I've got presents under the tree. I've asked for this thing all year, you know, whatever it might be. And your mind's always kind of, you know, thinking about something. And uh, it's hard to kind of turn ourselves back to what we really are celebrating. And that's what we're doing. We are celebrating with this text this morning, this work that God has done. And when you think about prophetic work, some of you may have been around people that have said they're prophets or whatever, but when we think about biblical prophecy, you're thinking in terms of an immediate situation being addressed and an ultimate or final situation being addressed. Sometimes you'll hear, hear people say, uh, it, say it in a way that's like, the, the immediate fulfillment is like foretelling, and then there's a foretelling nature. I mean, that's just kind of something to keep in mind as we are looking at this today. But what we can say is God's plans throughout the Bible. The whole Bible is about God's plan. And you see, like if you were to talk about the Bible in one sentence, I would say, uh, God created the world, man fell, God promised to redeem a world. He did it, this may not be on one sentence, he did it through his son. He accomplished it through his son. And ultimately, this world is not only are we redeemed, but the whole of creation will be. That's it's a big story. And so that's this is a big th- deal that's going on here. So 
Zechariah's prophecy is a prophecy of hope, and it's pointing to all the hopes being realized, and we're going to see that. The first part of the prophecy is thanksgiving. So look at verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. Now, when you just stop there, we said prophecy is important. When they're filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible, something special is about to happen. You will see people filled with the Spirit, and they will do things, very powerful things. They will fight enemies. They will do all kinds of things. In this case, he has this special ability to see what has taken place and to announce like what is taking place right before their eyes. If you remember between the Old and New Testament, there were 400 years. Well, here we have come to this end, and he is speaking to them, and he's saying God has visited. And when God visits, it's a big deal. God visited. God showed up. God came. He came to be with us, and he has come not just to say hi. He's not coming like your friends that Christmas, they're like, oh, we've missed you. We wanted to say hi. Let's get a hug. How's your week? No, it's not like that. God's not just like, oh, this is great, man. Great Christmas reunion. This is God is coming, and God is coming to save. And it's a way of, this is almost like when somebody is giving a blessing like this, it should call you up and say, hey, come sing with us. Come, sing, come join in singing with us in praising our God for what he has done. Enter in by faith, trusting him. Okay, now ready? Look at 68 through 75. We've looked at a lot of different things, but it's just helping you understand where we are and what's going on. The first sentence here is about God providing salvation, the fulfillment of prophecy. It's saying like God made that holy oath and the covenant, like he's going to bring that to pass through the Messiah. The second part or the second sentence that we'll look at today is 76 through 79. And it is saying, look, there's this child that's coming, and it's, it's my son, kind of what he's saying. And his mission will be as a herald to the Messiah. He's going to be crying out, believe, believe, like he's here, he's come. Like, y'all come, enter in, believe, trust in him. That's what John the Baptist will do. And he's going to help prepare the way by saying, like, don't you know how much you need it? That, that would be, don't, don't you know how much you need it? Like, turn to him. Okay, so look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Just when you think about that and you look at it, those blessings like that, you see it in Psalm 41.13. You see it in Psalm 72 and Psalm 106. Every time you see those, it's at the end of one of the books of Psalms. So when you see it, you're like, that's a big deal. Like, it, it's something he, he is... He's bringing or announcing something wonderful. You see it in Ephesians where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It is something where you're saying, Praise to God for what he has done. Zechariah has been mute for nine months as a judgment. It, it, that's, that's kind of a, as a judgment. It, it's like a, you know, sometimes if God, like, left you in your rebellion and didn't do anything about it, would that be loving? No. But with Zechariah in this particular place right now, he's been under divine discipline, but when he comes out on the other side, what happens? Praise. So I, I just think it's important to see that. Like, God is doing something amazing here, and throughout the Bible you will see people come under divine discipline and they will come out rejoicing uh, to
to the Lord. Another place you think about that is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember he came under divine discipline? He got to like lose his mind, eat grass for like seven years and, and because he thought he was so awesome. After that's over, uh, he like lifts his eyes up to heaven and says, God, you're the God of everything. You're, you're over everything. So that's what you're seeing happen. He is expressing this. God is directing his words. And he says, for he has, speaking of God, visited and redeemed his people. He speaks like in a prophetic past, uh, is the way some people would say it. It means like as if, as if it's already been done. As if it's already been done, God has visited and redeemed his people. His purposes are coming to pass. He's going to accomplish these events. God's going to do it. We see that in Exodus chapter 4, that the Lord came to visit his people, and he is doing that before their very eyes. This visitation is like a new exodus, and that's what you're going to see throughout the New Testament. It's like this new day is dawning. A new deliverance has come. And that is, that's, that is a legitimate thing. It's, it's coming before their very eyes. They're seeing it in the present, and they're awaiting the future of that. And it's what kind of exodus is it? It's a redemption. He's bringing them, in a way, you could say, out of slavery. They're in bondage to their enemies. Uh, they're caught up in their sins. Uh, the hand of the enemy is upon them, and God is coming to rescue them. He is coming to guide their feet into the way of peace. They've been in a place of war. They have been in a place where they're destroyed and despondent. You may have been there before in your life where you're like, somebody's got to break these chains. I've got to get free. I've got to be set free. And that's what he's doing. He is setting them free. This redemption is not like what you would think. Most people would be like, oh, they're getting free of Rome. That might be the first century response. But he's saying, no, I'm setting you free from much greater enemies than you could imagine. They're the enemies of old. They're the enemies that have bound people throughout the history. Satan, sin, and all the consequences of those things. He is setting them free. And the redemption is not like with bulls and goats. He, the redemption will be with the blood of his own son. It's a wonderful truth here that he is preaching. He is explaining and expounding these things. How will he do it? You see that in verse 69, this horn of salvation. It's coming out of the house of David. This one that's coming is coming to crush all the enemies. And when he comes, this great warrior king will come. He will come from the line of David, and he will set you free. The Lord is going to get and he is going to, to, to carry that throne properly. So if you're sitting here this morning and say, what is this? It's all about Christmas. Well, what is it all about Christmas? It, it, it is a Christmas message from a man who has met with the Lord's angel, and he has been silenced. And when he opens his mouth, he speaks forth a prophetic word, and he says, hey, God's bringing something new. He's providing a new exodus, a new redemption, a new salvation, and it's better than what you ever thought. Verse 70, and as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is another big deal. If you don't like his, his message, you might say something like, I've heard, I've heard people say crazy things all along the way. And he's like, no, you don't understand. If he's saying crazy stuff, he's among the people throughout, the his, throughout history, like thousands of years of people saying, this is going to happen. 
He's just right on the edge of what is going to happen. Moses, the prophet whom God would raise up, is what, that's a prophet. He spoke of a prophet, you know. Uh, David spoke of the one who would sit at his right hand. Isaiah spoke of Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor. We sing songs about all those things. Jeremiah spoke of this branch that would come forth. He also spoke of the Lord, our righteousness. Ezekiel and Zechariah said the shepherd would come. Everybody's saying there's coming somebody. He's not going to leave us in a broken state. He is going to come and rescue. Then the question is, you're like, okay, but who are we going to be rescued from? Look at verse, this is kind of the great deliverance. Look at verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where somebody you think like, these people hate us, or they hate me. Maybe you've been in a really hard place or, or whatever, or maybe you've heard stories of that, or you maybe read like history books, and you think, man, th these people came after this group of people, and they hated them. They were punishing them. They were wanting, wanting to destroy them. Or again, you may have been on that side with someone who they're so angry with you, they want to destroy you. The reality is, is the darkness of this present world, this present darkness that you can see in your own heart sometimes, that you can see out there in the world, that darkness, he has come to save them from any darkness that you are afraid of, that has a hold of you, that's gripped you at times, that feels like it's controlling you. He says he's come to deliver, to deliver again from Satan and his allies, from sin, from death, from the grave, from hell, from the hostile evil forces in this age. I mean, all of that stuff he has come to rescue. This is one of those things where you can sing, as a result of this, you could sing, a mighty fortress is our God. You know, he's not going to fail. I'm going to stand on that truth, on those realities. He will not. So, and then to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What he's saying is, this was, when God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And you may, I struggle with this, you do too probably. I will overcommit myself and be like, oh yeah, I'll get that done and not get it done. I'll be there and I'll forget. And some of you may be holding grudge this morning against me for doing that. Right? I mean, there's times where you're like, oh, you know, Jared, he forgot. I sent him a text, you know, at 2 in the morning. He didn't see it for 48 hours, you know. You know, but, but that could happen, and it does happen. Sometimes you get bombarded with all kinds of stuff, and you're like, man, I just, it, it just, you know, that does happen. And so, but when God makes a promise, even if the promise is not fulfilled for thousands of years, he's going to bring it to pass. He is going to bring it to pass. He made a promise to the fathers. He made a covenant. He made a, a covenant where he was the only one that passed through it. It was up to him. He made a covenant. And he swore to Abraham that he would do what he is doing before their eyes. If you want to make a note of this in Hebrews chapter 6, you can see uh, this, this idea of God swearing to these things. Also to Genesis 22, um, you can see in Genesis 12 these things happening. But you just know that when God says he's going to do it, he's going to bring it to pass. He's doing it through his son. He's doing it right before our eyes. Now, what is the goal in mind? Now, you might say, here's the thing. He's promised to deliver. God, God made these promises. He's going to deliver. We talk about, you know, how he's going to deliver. 
we say this is what he's going to deliver us from. And then we say here, if you notice, what is his goal like of delivering you? Why, why this Christmas season are we celebrating the Christ child who was born and who would die for us and who would be raised victorious? Why is that something that, that would, we'd want it to happen? Notice in verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now look at that just for a minute. You're delivered to serve. That, that's a huge thing throughout the Bible is when God, when redemption, salvation shows up in a heart, like some of you today, it might be that may what needs to that might be what needs to happen, where God awakens you to spiritual realities. When salvation comes, when deliverance comes, when spiritual life comes, when you are brought to life and you see and understand these wonderful things, your natural response is to want to worship. Your natural response is to give your life back to God. Whenever you're not thinking about all that he has done for you, your natural response is to give all the glory and all the honor to yourself, right? To think about me, you know? You could go throughout your week. Last week, we could go walk together through it. And I was like, in that moment, what were you doing? Where were you in your head? You know, where were you in your heart? And um, if you were in a heart of worship, like, it, it, it would really change the way you, like, treated your siblings. It would change the way that you treated your wife, your coworkers, your whatever, the person on Amazon when the package was, like, delivered to the wrong place or failed to deliver at the time that, you know, I was sending Ryan a text this week. I was like, where's the package? Because we had something ordered. And, uh, you know, I'm over there thinking, like, if they mess this up, you know, I'm going to go get Amazon, you know. But anyway, when you're thinking about that, when you're thinking about deliverance, you have to think in terms of what does he, what's he producing? What's he doing? He is, he is making a people that will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He says that in Exodus 19, and it comes back up in 1 Peter. He is saving you to allow you to serve. He is saving you so that worship would be centered in him, in this life and the one to come. He's saving you that there would be a proper response, not that you would make more of yourself, but that you would make more of him. The idea of holiness here is that you would, it has the idea of relating to God where you would not want to do the things that God forbids you do. You know, you don't want to do those. You want to do the things that he would want you to do. Righteousness might be more like you're doing what he demands. You're walking in a right way. You're avoiding bad things. You're stepping into good things before him. That's the idea of like, I'm actively thinking about this is a sacrifice to him. This is an offering to him. And then all of our days, all of our days, all of our days in this world and the world to come, The scripture says, like, when we've been there, not sorry, the, the, the psalm, I can't say, it's not a psalm, the hymn, when we've been there 10,000 years, you know, we'll no less, we'll have no less days of singing God's praise than when we've just begun. Because here, your response should be praise. 
there, when you're perfected, your response will be praise. It will never stop. It will never cease to be. That not, it will never cease to be that he will be worthy of it. And it will never cease that you will like want to offer it back. And so I think that's just important to understand it. So this great deliverance has a purpose and it does change your life. It changes your life dramatically. That's why so many people claim Christianity all around the world and, and particularly even in this little area that we're in, everybody's a Christian. But you want to say, hold on just a second, like, is our life marked by worship? And then what kind of worship is it marked by? So, then your last little part here, which is um, a special thing. You ask the question of like, I know the Messiah's coming. It's as if he's already come here. But um, what about old John? John the Baptist, did, I mean, what happened with him? And his daddy speaks about what John the Baptist would do. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Zechariah is not chiefly concerned about himself or his child. But he does know that his child would be one that would go before the Messiah. That would save us from our sins. And you know, John the Baptist would be one that would later say, he must become greater, I must become less. John the Baptist's life is to herald, and then it is his voice goes out, and then immediately Jesus steps on the stage. And he is not only someone that you won't see anymore, and, and except for just a couple little comments, and then he will, he will be done. You know, we, his candle, I guess you could say, will kind of be snuffed out because the light of the world has shown up, and it's a glorious thing. So this is in concert with, again, Old Testament prophecy. And Isaiah 40 speaks of in the wilderness, there's this one who's going to cry out, heralding, this is the one that's come. In Malachi 3, 1, he'll come in the way of uh, Elijah. I think it's important just to see that and understand that. John the Baptist's ministry was one of a, a, of a very sober person crying out to people and saying, wake up, listen up, prepare the way for the Lord, you get right. The king is coming that's been prophesied throughout the ages. He will deliver you. Wake up, turn to him now before it's too late. He is going to give knowledge, the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So the knowledge of salvation is one of those things where it's like when you see kind of like part of like preparing things is like you present your present state that you are in desperate need. You have to people have to be prepared to understand. And so he called them to address their sins. He called out their sins. And then he also um, told them of their salvation. So one of the things that um, maybe you've heard people talk about, it's like the most dangerous thing would be to come in and like beat somebody up over their sin. Because everybody in here, if we knew everything about you, we could beat you up and over your sin. And if we walked out, 
after doing that? What would that be like? That would be a horrible thing. He doesn't do that. He, he comes to them and gives them the knowledge of salvation at one point saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you want to understand that and grapple with that and consider the glory of that, that, that Jesus would come to deal with your sin, your sin that alienates you from God, your sin that will crush you. Jesus came to rescue you. The, the Christmas story is a wonderful story about the fact that this promised king has come and that there's one, there's one coming on the scenes that will announce it. And um, this promised king is coming not to save you, what you from what you think you need to be saved from, but what you really need to be saved from. And so um, I think it's important just to understand that. Now, 78 and 79 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Light is one of the most wonderful things. We came up here the other night, um, Will and I did, and I was driving another, uh, my truck was getting tires put on it and all that, but I was driving another guy's truck, and there were flashlights in there, and I was like, we got to go to that second building. He has a flashlight. I have a flashlight. First, I'm like, why don't you just go in first? And he's like, no, we're not doing that. I'm not doing that. And like, you got that, that little light, you know. <laughs> but uh, just walk in there, and let's, check, let's just get out of here. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's like, get me out of this place. But the deal is, is um, the light of the world when he comes into darkness there is no fear. Like when he stepped into darkness, fear is gone. Fear runs away. You know, there's no place of danger or fear or hopelessness. What he brings is peace. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's a glorious message of Christmas. And so you might say to yourself today, is my mouth filled with praise? If not, why not? Why not? Is it filled with praise? If not, why not? Are you amazed by God's faithfulness? Maybe for you today it would be, have I ever recognize my lost place in history where I am presently and never really and maybe if I haven't recognized it I didn't know I had these enemies of sin death hell and the grave that would destroy me that want to destroy me maybe for some of you say well I knew that I knew I was sinful I know that but maybe for the first time you say wait Jesus came to save me yes yes he came to save and so, in light of that, if you have been saved and you have come to him, then the question would be, like, are you walking in holiness and in righteousness, offering your life back, bringing gifts to him, like the wise men, offering gifts to him and praising and honoring him who lives forever and ever? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would not only understand darkness, that we would see the glorious light. We pray that we would understand the way of peace. We would put our hope and trust in Jesus. Lord, I also pray that we would be heralds of the light to the world, 
we know that even after John the Baptist went off the scenes, Jesus sent his disciples to go and speak the gospel to the nations. And we, as disciples, are still doing it. May we do that this season. May we do that throughout our lives as we are offering ourselves back to you. In Christ's name, amen.